All right, we're going to talk about subsurface drip irrigation, and we've got an actual body of work, if you will. Kelly Garrett is the first person I met, first farmer, that actually had subsurface drip irrigation. I was on your farm, I saw it, and now we got results. Not just a year's worth of results, seven years worth of results, right? Right. So anyway, uh, you're going to tell us about what the person considering subsurface drip irrigation might need to know, and we got Kurt Grimm here with NutriDrip. All right, he put his system in in 2015 for 2016 season. We're recording this in 2023. We've got some results. Uh, obviously, bigger yield. You've used it for putting out nutrients. You've uh, learned a few lessons. You've uh, seen what maybe you might change in the future, and also what the benefits of subsurface drip irrigation are. So uh, tell us about that experience, Kelly. Coming out of the drought of 2012, being a little bit of the control freak that I could be, I really wanted to find an irrigation source. On a farm trip, I had heard about drip irrigation, uh, you know, Google searched it on the internet and came up with drip because we can't use a pivot with our hills, ditches, creeks, terraces, you know, just that topography is a word that we've always used, didn't allow for a pivot. So drip was the only answer. It took me from 2013 until 2015 to find Kurt and, and go forward with the project. You didn't, uh, you didn't go full tilt, you didn't do it on all your acres, but you put it in a significant enough acres that it's a, it's a, good, uh, it's a good result. Like you can actually say, hey, this works on, because right behind your shop, and how many acres do you have? We started with uh, 80 acres, and now we've expanded to 370. We have another couple hundred acres in the talks to go forward with here in the next couple years. Kurt, by the way, I know you were there. I went to his farm and I said, if this property was in my part of the world, we'd put a chairlift on it and call it a resort. I mean, you're talking about some pretty steep stuff. Clearly, center pivot irrigations are not, not an option, right? Right. And certainly not flood irrigation because the water would all run down the road, right? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a challenging uh, landscape. There's grass back terraces, um, something that we had never um, encountered in, in our work. And so it was a challenge, but we figured out a way to design it. Pressure compensated emitters can go up and down those hills and, and, it, and it irrigates and fertigates uniformly. So, Did you make any mistakes? Oh, sure, we've learned. Um, that, that's always, that's the challenge of work, right? You gotta, gotta learn, figure out how to do things better and how to do things differently. All right, so the system that's at Kelly's is obviously got topography. Uh, you know, you're talking about some major slopes. Was getting the pressure dialed in a big concern? It was, so the well is at the bottom of the hill. I think we started 110 pounds of pressure at the bottom of the hill. We push it up to the top, the valves are at the top of the hill. I think they're at 20 pounds of pressure. Um, these hills are steep enough that we actually have to worry about overpressuring the tape. So there's a lot of, a lot of design um, criteria that went into, into that, that design to get it right. What about using it as a delivery system for nutrients? We shot a video talking about putting calcium products and some other things, boron products out. Uh, did you start off the very first year doing that or is that sort of a learning curve? No, we started off the first year doing it. I remember telling Kurt, well, this is the reason we put it in. Let's put something in it. I, I didn't even have an idea what to put in it then. Kurt made a couple suggestions. We started fertigating with it. That was one of the first lessons. The second lesson was how much water to put on per day. You know, I now only put on a tenth of an inch of water per day. I won't go over that. At one point, we talked and we tried to go up to like a quarter inch a day because of evapotranspiration. All we ended up with was saturated soil. A tenth of an inch a day is enough. We've learned that. We've learned about fertigation. Now we've learned about our water. Water isn't just water. We have a lot of bicarbonates in our water. So now we've learned to test the water and treat the water because you'd like to get the most out of that fertility dollar and the bicarbonates in the water tie up the fertility. So now we're treating the water to let the fertility be plant available. Those would be the three key lessons that we've gotten so far. Kelly, uh, Kurt and I shot a video with Chad about this subject and about plugging the system. 
you know, is, is particulates, uh, you know, sediment that's coming out of your water reservoir. I mean, one of your fields, you feed it from a pond. I was there. Do you have that problem? Do you plug this stuff up? We have not ever plugged ours up. If you start to, if it starts to plug up, you need to run acid through it. I, of course, with my plant food byproduct is an acidic product, so that really cleans it as it fertigates. But you just need to run acid through it. I was very nervous about plugging it at the beginning. It's much more forgiving than I thought it would be. We have not had a problem, and we just you just got to pay attention to what you're doing. Is that a middle block, Kurt? Because we see the product is right here. It's got just this little teeny, I mean, you're talking about a pinhole that comes out of it. And the person like me is going to say, well, a piece of silt, uh, a piece of clay, a piece of algae, I mean, whatever. It's a hard thing for me to think about that that little teeny pinhole is not going to plug. Yeah, so the the filtration is designed such that it filters particles that are larger than that opening. So we spec the we spec the filtration for 120 mesh. If it'll go through 120 mesh, it'll go through that emitter. So we're gonna filter that out. And then the second step of that is we have to be able to flush the system. So we have to be able to flush the drip lines because we're not gonna get everything out. There's gonna be some stuff settle out in there. So we increase the velocity in the drip line to actually clean it. And so that's part of the maintenance of the drip system. But it's still a teeny little hole, Kurt. It's just a teeny little hole. A lot of stuff could plug that. Yeah. So it's actually more than a hole. There's actually an emitter um, is what we call it. There's a labyrinth. If you if you can see the little zipper pattern here, the water actually enters down here. It goes up through a zipper and comes back out and it weeps out this hole. So inside here, there's a the water is swirling like a little tornado. And uh, and so it, it and this is designed to get particles to pass through. So that's part of the design of how they engineered the drippers. And it's an incredible technology that allows those little bitty particles to come on through. I gotta tell the viewer, I just learned that. And we've done this stuff before. I thought it was like one of those soaker hoses on your garden. You just went there and like, yeah, okay, it's got some holes. Boom, there it goes. A labyrinth? There's a labyrinth. That's oh, quite a word. Wow. <laughs> so right here, we've got a blown up version of an emitter. So this is the emitter that's, that's on the inside of the drip line. And so it lays, um, in like this and, and the water actually goes through another little filter here. So the water passes through this and then it goes into this zipper looking pattern and it swirls in here, comes all the way through. So it's starting at 15, 20 pounds of pressure coming through here. By the time it gets to the opening, it's gonna be at zero pounds of pressure and it's just gonna drip out uh, through, the, through the wall of the drip line. This is a pressure compensated version. Um, this so is again a, blown up. This is not the real size. Right. Yeah. Is that kind of like on a cereal box that says the prize in here is not real size? That's right. Uh, yes, yeah, similar concept. So inside here is a is a silicone diaphragm, and as that diaphragm gets more pressure behind it, it pushes against this opening, and so that opening is larger or smaller depending on how much pressure. And so that's how it's regulating pressure um, as as you have varying topography or varying pressures in the drip line. That's pretty fascinating. All right, you don't have a comparative uh, base. You don't have center pivot irrigation units to compare it to. You don't do flood irrigation like they do down in Arkansas where Matt's fields are as flat as a pancake. How would you compare it? You've never had any other kind of irrigation. So do you say this is the best or do you say I, this is the only one that works for me? Clearly that's the case. Uh, any sort of like thoughts of what else you would do? Well, it really is the only choice for me but also when you look at like the surface water I'm using to irrigate, you know, I look at that as a very sustainable resource of water because otherwise it's just running away. We're capturing that water, putting it back on the hill. And if I had to center pit of it or something like that, it wouldn't be a big enough source of water. Does that make sense? Yep. So we're able to capitalize on a lot of surface water and uh, irrigate a lot more acres in a very efficient, sustainable manner. Sure. Okay. <clears throat> 
right, Kurt, we can talk about the, and by the way, I'm geeking out on what you just showed me there, okay? Let's talk about the actual dollars and cents and the bushels in the bin. Has this made you a better farmer? Has it made you yield? I mean, clearly it does make you yield. Is it making you money? Let's go through the actual ramifications that the person right now is saying, all right, but. In my opinion, on a corn crop, we're adding 30 to 40% yield. On a bean crop, we're adding 35 to even 50% yield to a bean crop. So yes, it pays back very nicely. Not only does it pay back very nicely, the security of knowing what you're gonna get, you're almost like self-insuring. And, and so these acres for me really are research acres. And the things we learn from there on the infrared fertility, the foliar applications, things like that, we then take and scale to the rest of the farm because of the data we get from there is tremendous because again, the security of the situation. Security meaning you can guarantee an outcome. You can guarantee a result. You know that come hell or high water, you're going to get a result on those crops, on Absolutely. those acres. Absolutely. Uh, money. I, I know I always bring it up, but it's important. You know what? Farming's a business. He's in business. Um, when's the payback? How long is it going to take him to get his money back? It's, it's, it's year seven or year eight now we're going into. Has he made his money back? Yeah. Uh, three to seven years with commodity prices where they're at today, we're probably on the low end of that. But if we get back to $3 corn, we're going to be in that seven-year payback probably. How about we look at it this way? A couple thousand bucks an acre. Yep. A couple thousand dollars an acre to put in drip irrigation, which is... 20% the cost of land. Absolutely. Land costs $10,000 an acre, $2,000 for the drip, yep. but I'm adding 35% to my yield. Yeah. 20% cost, 35% yield, and I know it's gonna be there, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, and then we can talk about depreciation. I know we're talking about the business side of it. You can run this as, you can depreciate this out just like a piece of equipment, yeah? Exactly. And then, uh, speaking of true depreciation, when is this system, when is his system going to be like kaput, done, need to replace it? Yeah, so we've got systems in Nebraska. We have one that's 38 years old, we still do maintenance on, and it's still running like it was put in. So proper maintenance, proper good water quality, and then if you don't have good water, you gotta treat the water. Kurt, so. that's a neat story. You know what, I remember uh, hearing this big deal about a guy that drove a Mercedes a million miles. That's not normal, what's normal? 38 years is not normal, right? uh, 25 to 30 years is normal. Okay, that's yeah. fantastic. So you got, uh, you're, you're one third of the way through? I'm one third of the way through. Got it. What's the closing lesson on this? Uh, you know what? You, you're sold on it. Are you going to be putting more acres of subsurface drip irrigation in? I will be putting more subsurface irrigation in. And this is like I talk about all the time. There's more net money in doing better instead of always trying to do more. This is doing better on the acres I have than always trying to expand. Less equipment cost. If we go do more, we're going to have to buy another planter, buy another combine. Yeah. We or do hire, this. Or hire a person. Or, or hire a person. Manpower is kind of a, a exactly. tough deal out in the country. Type. This is doing better. Is that is that the value proposition? Is that, listen, maybe you can't get another hired man. Maybe you can't get uh, another 1,000 acres because land's tight or it's too overpriced or whatever. The value proposition here, frankly, is do more on the acres you got. Absolutely. That's what's driving our growth right now is, is guys want to do more with what they already have. And, and if... If, land, if you could buy land for $2,000 an acre, it'd be a different conversation. Um, but right now, that's not possible. Uh, is there any permitting? Is there anything that maybe like the person that's on the fence right now says, I will do that, but I've got to go get approved. Is there any, is there any difficulty in that? Yeah, so it's it varies by state and by geography. And we have experience in most states. And so we can help with, with permitting processes. Some states are very simple. Some are very difficult. So it, it really depends on where the grower is How many at. states, Kurt, have you worked in? I think we're at 12 states we've installed in. Got it. His name is Kurt Grimm with NutriDrip, and the system is in place, if you have more questions, at Kelly Garrett's farm in Arian, Iowa. My name's Damian Mason from Extreme Ag. You had questions about irrigation? We answered them.